0: Uh, Turn turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, and uh, I just tell you, sometimes the the bulletin gets printed earlier in the week, and I'm not always done thinking, I'm not always done thinking, Um, and if I would have had the, I think I said Gospel Living, which is a great title, fine, great, it'll be sufficient, but if I would have made the title last night, I would have called it Christian Living in the big city. That's what I want. It's much more spicy, you know. Uh, um, But I was picturing, I was picturing Rome, and I was picturing the people that got this letter, Rome, in Rome, they're residents of Rome. And I was picturing some of them being Uh, transplants from other cities. They didn't grow up in Rome and others still would be in Rome and they would have grown up there and they would have known it well. And I I was picturing this bustling city and I I was thinking about what Christians would have been struggling with. And even as I think through our passage this morning, I was thinking about uh, in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, by the mercies of God. And remember two weeks ago, we talked about how he makes a huge transition where he encapsulizes and and he says, because of really the state of our soul that we are so needy and so desperate for saving. And then uh, God's beautiful gospel in his son Jesus comes and saves us in that state, not because we're good enough, not because there's anything in us, but by his mercy, By his mercy, he saves us. And now in chapter 12, he's telling you uh, about God is speaking through Paul to us, to the people in Rome, and he says, let me tell you how to live. Let me tell you how to live. And I know it's a big transition. Uh, I think for some of us here today, maybe we didn't grow up with believing parents or in a church, and and so some of this is kind of foreign, right? Right? I'm reminded, my my dad uh, immigrated when he was 16, and as preparation for that, he was in a refugee camp in Germany, and he showed us this card all the time. I think it's somewhere in my sister's basement uh, in boxes of stuff, hope so. Uh, But uh, there's this little card, and it had like uh, little things that some of them were checked off, and what it was was um, things that they were supposed to do in preparation for being an immigrant. And some of it was like seeing films and reading little pamphlets and books. And what it was meant to be is like, this is how you live life in America. This is how you live life in America. If they'd make those today, it wouldn't be that great of stuff. But anyways, uh, <laughs> as great as it was then. But anyways, um, I, I want to tell you, there's an awkward and sometimes difficult transition to moving uh, from one life to another. And I, and I wanna tell you that this is for us. This is for us. Uh, this is a list we're gonna go through this morning, and sometimes lists are kind of awkward in, in that way too. Um, but I wanna tell you that this list that we're gonna go through is about how we live as a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, interestingly enough, uh, it's a little bit different even from what I described in my dad having that thing, is uh, that it was for believers as they lived in the big city of Rome, as they lived a different life right next to other people who did not believe, okay? And I think that's the picture for us this morning. How do we live uh, as a follower of Jesus in the midst of a uh, uh, city, state, country time uh, of unbelievers, how do we live there? And that 's what we 're going to be talking about today. Um, if you 'd stand in honor of God's word, I 'd like to read to you from verse nine through verse 13. and God's word says this: "Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil." Your church here in this place, this local church, this group of people that you brought together. God, uh, teach us, uh, show us where we need to change. Uh, uh, God, I ask that you would fill us with the mind of your son, Jesus, Jesus Christ, that, that we would have his mind, that we would think like he does, not like we used to think. And make that transition for us. God, thank you for your word that guides us and directs us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. For those of you who are keeping score this morning, there are 13 points. Hopefully, I'll go quickly. But it's second service, so there's nothing, you know, other than, you know, you know. Sorry if the roast is dry. You know, uh, um, a couple things before. I, I want to tell you that this life is so different, so different. Um, as you seek to abandon the old life and walk the new life in Christ, don't think it's just a little adjustment. Don't don't think of it like that. Think of it as something so different because it is. Um. And in fact, you know, we played some games uh, with our kids when they were small, the opposite game. Sometimes it is the opposite game, right? We are doing the complete opposite of what uh, we used to do. Um, And and what we're doing is we're exchanging, uh, and you'd think about these, these people who lived in Rome, that they were exchanging the cultural air that they breathed for a new life in Christ. That they were you know they were used to everything that was around them, but now they were exchanging both the attitudes and activities uh, for the church of their only Savior, Jesus. As we look at these this morning, these come out as imperatives or, or calls to obedience. They are not suggestions. They're not suggestions. Um, I think often we look at God's word and uh, people will say, well, these are the 13 tips for Christian living. I want to tell you, these aren't tips or hacks or anything. This is what God calls us to. Um, I want to say this too, that God is calling us to obey. But for us to obey, for us to obey him and his, his, his directives, it's for our success in the building of his church. It's for our good. And I think so often we look at um, if we have to obey anything, we don't get to do what we want to do, and it's bad. I want to tell you that's the complete opposite. As we look at this this morning, this is for our good. And so uh, we'll see these 13 things. One one pastor looked at this as a list of how to live the supernatural life that God has saved you for. And I think that's helpful. So we start off with number one. I'll try to keep saying the numbers. So for those of you who are keeping score, you'll be able to keep straight. I know some of you are a little OCD. And if you get you know, that fly in your ointment and you miss one, you're a little fired up and it ruins the whole message for you. Um, number one, genuine love. This is what is marked by the Christian life. This is what we are to pursue. When you hear that word love, a lot of times in the New Testament, um, some of you, you know this and you know that there's different words in Greek for love. But I think the thing that's most important for you to know about these words is that this word agape, love, this agape it really wasn't used out in the world. It wasn't one of the words they used. It was almost as if the word itself was just a Christian word. It was exemplified in who Jesus is and what he has done for us. In fact, the times that they did use the word agape, uh, many times it was used as a sign of weakness or even foolishness because it connected The love of sacrifice, the love that said, I will lay down my life, is that unselfish picture of Jesus laying down his life. Now, just a touch of a commercial, just a touch of a commercial. Um, Men, we have been meeting the last four weeks or so, and we're just starting new tomorrow with a brand new message, never been heard before by the men of the Bible study that we met the four weeks before. Um, And we'd love to have you. And last week, last week, we talked about this concept of laying down your life and how amazing it is that Jesus did something, him being of infinite worth, laid down his life for uh, sheep that were wandering, sheep that were dirty, sheep that were... Uh, not of the worth, even combined of who he was, he laid down his life. And I, I just want to encourage you, men. Next uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking about forgiveness, uh, both Monday and uh, Friday. Friday at nine a.m. Tomorrow at six thirty uh, p.m. Six thirty p.m. We'd love to have you there. It's um, been a great time. Uh, love, agape, love. Uh, this is the kind of love. And when you see this in the New Testament, many times this is what it's talking about. It's talking about Jesus' kind of love. And, and God's love for us in saving us, it was God's motivation, his love for us that caused him to send his son to save us. He says, now, now that same kind of love that I have loved you with, Now I want you to love one another with. And he uses, and he says it this way. Paul writes, he said, let love, that kind of love, be genuine, genuine. The word genuine, other translations say without hypocrisy. And the idea here is this, not fake love, not fake love, not superficial love. You can picture um, if you were living in Rome and you were looking around for instances of love, you would see people who you know, are in full lust living out those things. And they would say, well, not that kind. Or, or they would see a businessman uh, you know making a deal of sorts and acting like he's a friend, but he's doing that so that he can make the deal. You can see a temporary type of love that that people had for a moment and then it was gone. But he says, when I think about, you know, this new kind of living, what is it? It is genuine love. It is not fake, not fake. It's not just lip service. It's not just temporary. It's not just to get your way. It is something that comes as Jesus' love for us was poured out for us. Now we are to love one another in that same way. Let love be genuine. That number, that first one in this list, some see it as kind of setting the pace for the rest of the list and maybe even being an umbrella. Definitely, uh, probably the biggest issue that God did for us is love us. And now he calls his people to do the same, love. Number two, Number two, and some of these are kind of grouped together. I'm just going to go through them in a list, but um, building upon uh, love, he says this, abhor what is evil, abhor what is evil. And I would say it this way, holy hatred is what the the life of the believer should be filled with. And and that sounds kind of rough. It sounds kind of, that word abhor is not just, um, think bad of evil, but it's, it's this idea of having an anger about evil, a holy hatred, if you will. And, and I think about this, and I think um, how often, uh, how do we treat sin? How do we treat sin? How do we think about sin? Uh, a lot of times we think about sin and we go, oh, you know, nobody should sin, but everybody sins, so no big deal about sin. But God encourages us as these new people that we would have a holy hatred for it. Now, uh, what does that look like? Well, I think sometimes we are sitting in our uh, um, Archie Bunker and Edith chairs watching the news. If you don't know who that is, you're younger than I am. If you know who that is, you're older than I am. And you're sitting there, you're watching the news, and you're getting mad as the, the news you know, are going through. And you go, oh, can you believe that? And you look to your wife or your son or daughter or your dog or whoever's by you, right? And, and you say, you say, can you believe that? And, you know, and, and, and there's a sense of your blood pressure uh, getting up, and you're mad about what's happening on the television. And you should be. And you should be, by the way. You should, it shouldn't be like, oh, no big deal. Oh, they're just a bunch of Satanists doing satanic things, you know, ruining the world. No big deal. You know, you should not respond like that. But sometimes it's easier for us to have a holy hatred about things we'll never experience and places we'll never go to. With people we will never meet. This idea of having a holy hatred of sin... Doesn't just mean on the things that are coming across on the the news, but the, the things that are in my life, in my life. That we should have a holy hatred for sin, the things in my life and the things in my home. And, and what it is, uh, uh, I want you to be real careful, but most of the time when we see worldliness or present evil... Uh, we forget that it's to be hated, we either ignore it, we laugh at it, or we tolerate it. And, and, and what I, what I want to clarify in your mind is that we can't get rid of sin in this life. We can't. You know, we, we're struggling with it personally. We're struggling with it within our family. And we certainly can't control it out in the world, Right? But the desire here is this, that we are to circle it in our mind, to mark it as such and to have the appropriate response to it, that we hate it. We hate it. I want to be clear, too, that um, we need to work it out in our mind, too, that that where does that come from? Sometimes we can uh, get so frustrated at our kids when we see sin in their life. And many of those sins are sins of immaturity in the sense that they don't know yet. They don't know, don't know the truth. They may not even know the Lord. They they may know the Lord, but like they can't pull it off yet, right? They haven't grown. They're sins of immaturity. And we get so angry, and we want them to snap too. I, I want to encourage you to take a step back. And how long have you known about the sins that you, you're committing? But the idea here of this is to work that through to say we have an enemy, he's tempting us all the time, we live in a world of sin, and I hate it, I hate it. And for us to circle that and say, this is sin, and I wanna wanna be mindful of that and have a holy hatred as Jesus would. Not uh, canceling out people and throwing them to the curb and disregarding them as hopeful but rather the sin itself, have a holy hatred for what we see as evil. Number three, glued to the good stuff. Glued to the good stuff. Uh, God's word says this. Verse nine. Uh, Aboard what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Um, I kind of see these all together, but the idea here is to bond with, and that word in the Greek has a sense of glue. And what I would say is this, it's not Elmer's glue. It's gorilla glue. Okay. That's what we're looking for here. I know some of you have worked with little kids and the whole idea of one dot is a lot, you know, you, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Um, I, I, The reason that little phrase came up is why? Because there's boys in the world, right? There's some of them here. You know, some of you were that kid, right? And that you you had that Elmer's bottle, and you were like, now is my time to shine, and I'm going to give it all that I have. And then eventually that little crust of glue on the end popped off, and you just shot it everywhere, Right? I want to tell you that the picture here is this of taking that gorilla glue, smearing it everywhere, and saying, I'm never leaving that which is good. I'm never leaving it. I'm chasing around. I'm holding on for dear life. I'm glued to that which is good. And I want to say it this way, too, because it's important. We do cling to many things in this life, we do cling to many things. But what this is calling us to is clinging to that which is good in God's eyes. That's part of this whole thing, right? Um, We look at at this life, and I want to tell you that this life is all about trading up, right? Right? You know, you have something and you have a couch and you've had it for a while and you got it used from somebody else. And then eventually you're looking to trade up, right? You're looking to get something better and you're constantly looking at stuff and you're going, I want to trade that which is better. And the picture here is this, that as you find the goodness of God and what he deems to be good, you want to cling to it. This is a never trade at any price, right? I'm never giving this up. I'm, I'm stuck here because this is what God has me for, has for me. And also this is what he has saved me for, saved me for his goodness, glued to the good stuff. I would say it this way. We are glued to his values and his work. Number four, filled with family affection. Verse 10 says this, love one another with brotherly affection. And and really, so um, those of you who have been in the military, you you understand the concept of band of brothers, right? The idea that you're in a group or squad or a team that's going to go do something and you, uh, because of the purpose and because of the danger, you are a band of brothers, and you have to see yourself as, as connected to one another in a, a super important way. Why? Because if you're not, you realize you can't make it alone. Band of brothers. This uh, carries over into occupations sometimes. You know, when we're all engineers or we're all firemen or we're all uh, teachers. Or, and, and you see yourselves connected by your occupation. I want to tell you that, that as you think about the connections of this life, uh, they're pretty much all temporary. They're pretty much all temporary. There's very few things that, that bind us together forever. Forever. You know, there's, there's things where we were real close because we worked together every day and then we weren't. And so we drifted apart or we were in school together, or we were on a team together, or, or we went and we used to do this activity together all the time, but then it stopped. The bonds were broken. And so he uses here, he says, uh, you should be filled with family affection. You should love one another with brotherly affection. And what is odd about that is that they would say this, even even here in the church, and we don't say it as much as we should, and maybe we, we will, and maybe this is even a spark to do so, but as you think of one another, you say, this is my brother. This is my brother. I say, oh, you don't look, look alike. Well, we we don't have the same mother, right? We don't have a brother from another mother, you know, right? And we, so did you grow up together? No, we didn't grow up together. Well, You know, do you have the same... Like, you just kind of... Well, What holds you together? And what holds us together and what makes us brothers and sisters is the mercies of God that are displayed in his son Jesus. That we were both a mess. We share that. We were both a mess. And God saved us. He brought us out of our sin and he united us in a family. Not like my other family, but uh, even more so in an eternal family called the church. This is how we are connected together. And so he says, we should be filled with a family affection. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Now, um, I thought this was funny. One writer said it like this. He said, they were called to be committed Uh, To affection for one another, not based on attraction. I thought that was funny. Uh Right? Are you tracking with me? Uh, Some of you make this distinction too. So I'd say, well, uh, you introduce me and you say, this is so-and-so. And I said, oh, is this your friend? And you say, no. He's my family. There's a distinction there. And uh, some of that's sort of funny because you go, oh, you know, I wouldn't have chosen. I wouldn't have chosen. I'm stuck with them because they're family, right? Can't get rid of them. Can't get rid of them. But there's this loyalty that bonds us together where friends will come and go. But this idea of brotherly love or family will stick around forever. This is the picture of the church. And I want to tell you, that's why we meet together. I, it's, it's a blessing, you know, the only blessing that came out of that ridiculous uh, shutdown of our world, it's coming. I'm going to get to Romans chapter 13 one of these days, and we're going to have some fun there for a while, okay? Uh, but the only good thing that came out of it, you know, there's probably others, but is that we're now online and that people can watch from home. But I want to tell you, it's not the same watching at home. We're here to gather. We're here to gather together, to be together. Um, We need to be together. And our relationship is such that we have this special family relationship that's like no other. And I can imagine that big city of Rome, you know, like being some of the great cities of our world today where they say, you know, we have relationship. This is, you know, my relationships are, this is my barista, they make my coffee. You know, this is the person, you know, that I get in their car and I pay them some bucks to get me from point. I I think of these big cities and their relationships and they're all based on needs and wants and being successful. And in Rome, that they would say, we're stuck together. Because of Jesus Christ. We're, Roman, we're the Roman church. We l- live in Rome, connected by Jesus Christ, saved by him in an eternal relationship. This is the picture for us, is that filled with the family affection. Number five, uh, ranking others highly. Ranking others highly. If you look down at the scripture, it says this. Uh, love one another with brotherly affection. Verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, when you see that word outdo, and it's kind of a clumsy translation, uh, outdo, some of you say, well, competition? I'm in, right? I love competition, and I, I want to outdo one another. I think there's even a sense where, as Paul wrote this, he he was picturing, inspired by God, he was picturing us to give zeal, or he's going to talk about that in a bit, but this idea of be almost competitive and showing honor to one another. If you, if you think about it, and if you have your Bibles open and you look up at verse 3 in chapter 12, he's already told them when it came to uh, spiritual gifts, he came to spiritual gifts, he says this. He says, uh, for by grace given to me, I, I say to you, every one of, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And I, I want to tell you that this is, this is the hard part. It's how we think about ourselves. How we think about ourselves. And I would say this, how we think about ourselves in relationship to the church Uh, I talked with the guys about this in the last weeks of this whole ranking thing, right? When we roll into a room, we rank who's more important than us and who's lower than us, right? And we kind of see ourselves and we rank ourselves someplace. And he says, yeah, go ahead, rank yourself, but make sure it's under, under the person in front of you. Rank yourself underneath them. And this idea of ranking yourself underneath is not just there, but ranking others highly. To see yourself as under, but also to see them as higher. This is very important because uh, if we see ourselves higher than everybody else, everyone should be our servant, right? Everybody should be our servant. But if we see ourselves lower, we see them as more important. Ourselves. Uh, This is the call. I want to tell you, this is the, the new way to live. This is the supernatural living. This is living in the big city as they're in Rome, the people crowding in on top of them and around them. And they say, How do I live as a believer? You do this. You think of others more highly than yourselves. Number six. You're a diligent hearted worker. Diligent hearted worker. Some of these, you know, maybe too many words and I was trying to get too cute, but diligent hearted worker. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Slothful in zeal. The, the picture here is not just about being lazy, but it's lazy about spiritual things. Lacking enthusiasm and care for the things that are spiritual. The picture here is to give diligence to them. Now, I want to talk to you about this. Um, What are you diligent in? As you look at your life, what are you diligent in? Um, Are you, for you students here today, are you diligent with your schoolwork? Maybe back up a bit. Why are you diligent? with your schoolwork? Why? Why, uh, for those of you who play sports and you're on a team, why do you go to practice? Why? For those of you who have a job, why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? Why do you show up on time to work? Why do you, when you're at work, Work hard. For those of you who have a sales job, why are you ambitious and why do you work hard to get the sale? Why? Out of all these things, I, as I think about them, let me give you one more. Why do you prepare your taxes and turn them in? Why? Because it's fun. Uh, as I mentioned all these things, uh, if you saw the thread, there's a bit of the whole bricks are above my head. And if I don't do it, the bricks will come down on me, right? If I don't go to work, eventually I'll get fired. If I, if I don't show up to practice and on time and give my best, I'll be riding the bench. And even worse, maybe I'll get kicked off the team, I want to point something out. Uh, Apart from just a few of us here, the rest of you didn't get paid to come this morning. You didn't get paid. Uh, Mike Boyce, the previous pastor, he used to always say, you know, we're paid to be good. We're paid to be good, and you're good for nothing. You're good for nothing, and that's true, and it's a... a, um, it's a humbling thing when I when I see you all serve, and I realize that you don't get paid. Especially in our world of um, people pleasing, people pleasing, the idea of having uh, not being lazy or slothful when it comes to the things of God is sometimes hard because there's no bricks over your head. You're not going to lose your salvation if you don't walk with the Lord today. I want you to know that. If you've trusted in Christ, if you're saved, there's no bricks over your head. But, but this is the thing. He calls us as a different way of living, the supernatural living. He says this, be a diligent-hearted worker. Do not be slothful in zeal. Uh, In the spiritual things, you're to bring enthusiasm and care and diligence. That was number six, a diligent hearted worker. Like that, number seven, we're to be excited for God. Excited for God. Um, And and that word excited is a boiling, a boiling. It's hot. It's it's bubbling up like this. I want to make a distinction. It's not boiling over. It's not reckless and out of control. It's it's boiling up. It's boiling up. Excited for God. Um, Fervent in spirit. And in your person, in who you are, you are to be boiling up. Not boiling over, but boiling up. I I Think about um, this, and and you're putting this together. A diligent-hearted worker excited for God. And then uh, that was number seven. And now you see number eight giving to the Savior, serving the Lord. What uh, number eight is there is the idea of serving the Lord. It's not just serving. It's not just staying busy. It's not just making dust. It's not making yourself feel good. It's that you're serving the Lord. And what does a servant do? Well, it um, can do a lot of different things, but the whole point of being a servant is that they meet the demands that are set before them, the demands of the hour. uh, Another writer said it like this, seizing the opportunities, seizing the opportunities. Now, just in the last 10 years, I've heard this, and for whatever reason, I didn't know this growing up, and I've heard someone say the idea of slow walking something. Do You know what slow walking something is? Uh, it 's the idea of somebody tells you something to do, and instead of totally disobeying them, you just slow walk it. you know you just kind of go like this and and when somebody explained that to me, i go i 've done that my whole life <laughs> you know uh, my, you know I learned that when my dad was bossing me around right I, you know I could be respectful disrespectfully, right. And that idea of slow walking something and and the idea of you're called to serve and you go, I don't want to serve. And so I won't flat out disobey. I'll just be slow walking it, right? I won't accomplish anything. But The picture here is this. It's not about slow walking. It's about understanding who our Savior is, understanding the mercy that he showed us, understanding this beautiful place he's put us and then serving him. This last uh, week with our men, we talked about uh, the washing uh, of the disciples' feet by Jesus. And I told the men, and I believe this, if Jesus were here today and he washed all of our feet and then he said, who would like to wash my feet? I think there would be a mad rush for that spot. And I tell you, I'm going to take that spot. Not you. I'm the pastor here. Okay. (laughs) And, and I would be really excited to do so. I I shared with the men, I'd probably be grabbing my phone and taking a selfie. Right. So I could remember this day. I would want, because it's so great what he's done for me that I would want to serve him. And the point of that passage that I shared, you know, about Jesus washing feet, he says to his disciples, and it doesn't say that he ever got his feet washed. Jesus did. He said, I'm your teacher, and if I wash your disciples, you should do like me and wash one another's feet. Serve me. And I want to tell you, it's a thrilling spot. It's a thrilling spot to be a servant of our Most High God, our Savior the Lord Jesus Christ. This is who we are. This is what, how we should see ourselves, giving to the Savior. And what that means, remember, meeting the demands, seizing the opportunity. I, I remember uh, my dad always trying to teach me, you know, anticipate my moves. And I, and I thought to myself, I don't want to anticipate your moves. I just want to slow walk it. You know, I don't care about this project. But, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, having our Savior, Lord, and what he's done in our life, that we want to get in there because this is what the Lord is doing. What is he doing? His church, his building of his church. And so we're serving our Savior. Number nine, joyful hoping. Joyful hoping. Verse 12 says this, rejoice and hope. Um, the other translations talk about say joyful or, or persevering in joy, um, the idea, and this, this struck me as I was studying, um, and maybe, maybe for you here today, you're struggling with this. How can I be joyful? How can I be joyful? How can I be happy? And uh, if I told you to be happy, you would come back pretty quick, and you'd say, but pastor, what about this in my life? but wait, there's more. Right? There's this mess, and then there's this mess, and then there's this mess, and there's this mess, and I can't seem to get over it. This struck me. One writer said it like this. He said, uh, the early Christians had little to be joyful about. They had little to be joyful about. And, and you think about that. They were persecuted. You, you, you've heard stories of Rome, what that was like for Christians. So sometimes they were they were killed, publicly killed. And, and you get this, this persecution that was all around them. And he says, but rejoicing in hope. And, and I want to tell you this. They had little to be joyful about but the Lord. But the Lord. And, and what I would say is it may not be great today, but the hope of glory was made, what made it worth it today. What made it worth it today. And I would encourage us to know so much about God, his love for us, and the riches that we have because of Jesus, and the infinite, eternal home we have, inheritance that we have in heaven, that you can look at the trials of this life, this day, and see them in light of what is to come. And so he says, be joyful hoping, or rejoice in hope. Number 10, got to get moving here, sounds like the inmates are getting ready to run the asylum. Anyways, um, patient endurance, patient endurance. It says, be patient in tribulation. The idea of steadfast endurance, not giving up in the midst, keep chopping wood. Why? Well, uh, tell me about trials. How long do trials last? Usually a little bit longer than you want them to, right? You say, you know, got it. It's a bad day. You know, it's tough. I, I realize these are from you. I can, I can handle it today. I can handle it today. And then you wake up and it's still there. And you say, well, I can handle this for a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks, and a couple of weeks come and go. and It's still there. And, and you say, I don't know if I can handle this anymore. And I, and I want to tell you that you can handle the trials of this life for however long they last. By God's grace, his love, the power of the Lord working in you. And so he calls us to patient endurance, the continued chopping of wood, the, the idea that I'm just going to keep doing what I know to be right and trusting the Lord for the results, trusting in his faithfulness even as we sing. Number 11, childlike trusting. He says this, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. And I see childlike uh trusting, because prayer is is just that. Uh, I think sometimes we think of prayer, and we go, somebody says, well, do you pray? And you say, yes. You know, when I need the Lord, I pray. And you say, well, tell me about that. And you say, well, in, in 2020, 2020, I went through a difficult season, and I prayed. I prayed. But I really haven't needed him since then. Like I've been able to handle everything since then. And I want to tell you, that's not what he calls us to. He calls us to be in constant prayer, the big and the small in our lives, to be trusting him, uh, knowing that this is the way his work gets done by childlike trusting. The persistent handling of life with prayer in all things, forever depending and being connected in conversation with the God who loves us so much. Number 12, a gracious giver, a gracious giver. Verse 13, it says this, contribute to the needs of the saints. And what that is, that's a picture of family taking care of family. And this goes back to the whole family thing. Well, who is the family? The family is the saints in your local church. Um. I want, especially those who have a tender conscience, some of you have a seared conscience, and I'm not really worried about you right now, but um, those of you who have a tender conscience, you might look at this and you say, well, am I just supposed to give to everybody? And I want to tell you, if you give to everybody, you can find people to give to, and your resources will be done with quickly, quickly. He calls you to graciously give and family taking care of family within the church. He's not calling you to meet all the needs of the whole world, but he is calling you to play your role within the body of Christ. I think often we look at one another uh, in the body of Christ and we say, well, that's not my family. It is your family. And the idea of you being able to help them and to help them uh, make it through the difficult days that God has for them is part of his plan for you within the church. And then lastly, Verse 13, he says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Um, The idea of hospitality is being a lover or loving strangers as opposed to family and friends. Now, family and friends, the, the idea of family and friends is that you have people that you want to be with. Not all of your family, not all of your friends, but there are people that you want to be with. And and they make you feel good, and you want to be with them, and so you're always kind of collecting them to yourself. And you see others, and you go, huh? I don't know them. Like, I don't know them. I don't know who they are. Um, not my problem. Not my problem. Why would I spend time with them? I don't know. Uh, it, it's interesting, that, that this idea of within the church, once again, this is a strange thing that we are called to love strangers. And the picture there is this, is that we are to welcome them in both. It's really a welcoming into your home, but the idea of welcoming into your life, uh, the loving of strangers. One writer said it this way. He said, we do not choose the time or the guests. (laughs) We don't choose the time or the guests. We just, as they come and as God gives us opportunity. Um, the, the, the picture here is this, that we would use our home or our life uh, for people we don't know for the help of the cause of God, God's causes. That's, we're looking for that. We're seeking for that. And I want to tell you that hospitality is not just about um, sharing a meal it's not just about cooking a meal or providing a meal. It's, it's how you welcome them. It's how you make them feel. I know that's hard for us. That It's not just about you, you, here at the church as we meet new people and stuff like that. It's not just about meeting them, showing them where the bathroom is or where their kid's going to be or anything. Those are good things. But it's how you make them feel. It's how you make them feel, how you welcome them. And this is a picture that the church is always looking to welcome uh, the saints. They're always w- looking to welcome and encouraging the growth of God's work. This morning, uh, you know, just in conclusion, I would just say this. Th- this is how we live this new life. And, and, and this new life is as God intended it, not as we uh, designed it. And as he intended it for us, it's for our good for our good and the success of his church. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the blessing of being with your people. God, continue to do your work in us now. I ask that you give us these things, remind us of these things, and that we'd be submitted to you as we learn to live this new life that you've gave us at the cost of Christ. And it's in his name we pray, Amen.